Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. Governments are struggling to prepare for hazards and the disaster events that they face. Communities cannot sustain in chronic response mode. What goes into making a community event disastrous? What planning tools, incentive programs can be used to mitigate the impact? How do building codes and other mitigating strategies allow them to get ahead of the situation? We're joined today by Ryan Coker, who's Vice President of Innovation at the ICC. He spends part of his time looking across the building industry to imagine how codes will be used in the future, as well as the present. He brings to bear his diverse background on his work at the ICC. In this podcast, we'll discuss the intersection of the many disciplines and activities in the building community which need to come together to ensure resilience. As the co-lead for the Resilient Building Coalition, Ryan gives us many insightful perspectives. For example, he shares the three core aspects necessary for housing to sustain approaching wildfires. Disasters are shocks that tend to make the headlines, yet stresses such as homelessness, major employer leaving the community, climate change, etc., are constantly grinding away to exacerbate shocks when they occur. We share some links in the show notes, but from some white papers that Ryan's taken part in creating in the ICC Resilience Toolkit. Ryan shares some other important links from the Insurance Institute Fortified Program, the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, and the Alliance for National Community Resilience. You can learn more about the International Code Council at icc.org. Let's listen in as Ryan explains to us about resilience, sustainability, and high-performance homes. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Good. So, Ryan, why don't you give us some quick background on the Code Council and your role there, and maybe a little bit about your history and background yourself. Sure, absolutely. So most folks are probably familiar with the Code Council through its work on development of model building codes, but it certainly goes far beyond that around providing tools for communities to support the implementation of those codes. So looking at various different products, developing standards, providing third-party evaluation and plan review services, those sorts of things. So my role at the Code Council is to serve as Vice President of Innovation, which really is an exciting position where I get to look at some of the important and exciting things that are going on within the industry around sustainability, around resilience, around offsite construction, thinking about what codes would look like into the future. How would we access them? How would we use them? How would they address things like climate change? Interesting place to be, but very exciting and really an opportunity to look across the building industry to see what's going on. I also serve as executive director for the Alliance for National and Community Resilience, which is developing benchmarks for communities to really understand where they sit relative to resilience and what are some of the things that they can do to improve their resilience. So that's building off of the solid base that building codes provide, but recognizing that there are many other activities that need to happen within communities to support resilience, safety, and those certain aspects that are really important to members of society and community leaders. Complex topic. They're very interesting. So what's your background to get you to this position where you're looking out here for innovation in this area? 
Yeah. So I actually have an undergraduate degree in environmental policy, which was very interdisciplinary. So looking at aspects of science, statistics, ecology, engineering, those sorts of things. I have a law degree as well to pick out and round out the policy side. But I really found that having that interdisciplinary vision of being able to see how different elements intersect and being able to see those connections and how various different disciplines impact the environment around us. And so one of my first jobs out of law school was actually at the Renewable Natural Resources Foundation, which brought together professional science and scientific societies, basically threw folks in a room and said, solve this problem based off of your particular expertise. So civil engineers, landscape architects, wildlife biologists, sort of all in a room together, sort of hashing out some solutions. And then I was actually at the ASHRAE Washington, D.C. office working on energy efficiency, indoor air quality policy. And then I actually moved to the National Institute of Building Sciences, which sort of brings together the building industry to identify key issues and solutions. And again, bringing the various different disciplines together, architects, engineers, building owners, facility managers, code officials, all together to resolve some of the big issues within our industry. And then I've been at the Code Council for almost two years now in December. Two years. Wow. Again, impressive background and sounds like you're very well suited for this role. Let's talk a little bit about sustainability and resilience. Do you consider them as similar topics or would you break them apart into two different things? I would say they're very similar. When we talk about resilience from a a holistic perspective, sustainability is certainly one of those key aspects of what it means to be resilient. So if we think about how we use various different products and impacts on society, both at a holistic sense and also in an individual sense, it certainly impacts the quality of life and the livelihood of folks that are using those products. And then the decisions that we make relative to policies certainly cut across both resilience and sustainability aspects. So does resilience break down into what kind of categories? Resilience to weather, to climate, to weather events, bugs, I mean, what wildfires, what are the categories of resilience in your mind? We sort of slice and dice resilience a few different ways. Within Anchor, we're looking at social, organizational, and infrastructural aspects of buildings, so communities, so by their particular functions. So whether that's a transportation system or housing system or an education system, so that's certainly one way to look at how to parse out resilience. But sort of underlying that is the things that you're trying to be resilient to. So we think of those around shocks and stresses. So I think most folks, when they think about shocks, it's the familiar things. It's the wildfires, it's the earthquakes, those sorts of things. But the stresses are things that certainly impact communities and maybe sort of underlying the surface and not really sort of visible to most folks. So it's things like homelessness or the potential to have a major employer in a community leave and what impact does that have on the community. And then we're seeing things like climate change really sort of exacerbating many of those things. So both sort of the shocks and the stresses. And I think COVID has certainly brought that out as well. Sure. And even in terms of shopping, being able to get the goods and the food that you need. Exactly. The whole toilet paper crisis. (laughs) (laughs) I understand you're working on a white paper now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the Code Council has actually started to develop a series of white papers specifically on how building codes impact resilience. 
So as I mentioned previously, building codes are certainly a fundamental aspect of resilience. And so really creating that picture of how codes support community resilience. And so the first white paper we actually did is on the role of the international building code in supporting resilience. And I think that one is fairly obvious when we talk about the shocks that communities face. So the IBC is certainly a valuable tool in protecting against earthquakes, floods, those sorts of things. The second white paper was actually on the intersection of the International Energy Conservation Code and resilience, which is not something that a lot of folks have made that connection yet. But as we just talked about, that intersection between sustainability and resilience is certainly a key aspect of assuring that communities are prepared. So that white paper was really an opportunity to look at how the energy code supports resilient activities and build that case for why we should be investing in energy efficiency beyond just the energy cost savings or the greenhouse gas emissions, but really the benefits that they provide in the face of hazard events. The upcoming white paper is actually on the International Wildland Urban Interface Code and its impact on resilience. Again, I think it's certainly one of those obvious codes that impact resilience, but sort of building out that discussion of why it's so important. I think we've seen recently with the wildfires out west, the impacts that that can have on communities, but really identifying that there is a strategy that folks can use to assure that their buildings are better prepared, their communities are better prepared for wildfires. Where is the driving force for this coming from? Where are the questions coming from? Who's asking you to get involved or asking you to engage more? Is it, any, is it regionally, governmentally, uh, different groups? What's the engagement here? I think there's a couple different reasons. I mean, I think governments are certainly struggling with how do we prepare ourselves for whatever hazards we're going to face into the future. We've seen sort of across the country an increase in the number and the impact of hazard events. And communities are really recognizing that they can't be in this chronic response mode, that they actually need to figure out how to get ahead of these disasters. And so that's really where things like building codes and other mitigation strategies really set them up to be able to get ahead of these challenges in a very cost-effective way. I mean, NIBS actually did a study that found that keeping up to date on building codes saved $11 for every $1 spent. And yeah, it's pretty significant. There's actually an upcoming study from FEMA with similar types of results on the effectiveness of things like building codes in really getting ahead of these disasters. Certainly at a federal level, we've seen those challenges as well. And then I think some of the impetus is sort of this growing recognition that people can't solve these issues alone. So if we just focused on building codes as a strategy, that gets us so far. But if that's not intersected with some other planning tools and incentive programs and those sorts of things that you're not getting as far as you're getting, and you may actually not be leveraging your resources effectively. How do you communicate or educate on this topic area? Before COVID, I really had a, a good opportunity to engage with a lot of folks at various different conferences in sort of non-traditional ways, bringing the resilience message to energy efficiency conferences, for instance, is certainly an opportunity to open people's eyes. The work that Anchor is doing on developing benchmarks really provides that intersection of different community functions. There's a, certainly a growing group of folks that are recognizing the resilience challenges, but not necessarily knowing how to implement it. So being able to provide solutions and resources in that context, certainly the Code Council has a broad reach within communities. So being able to bring together all our services and activities is certainly useful as well. 
What do you feel this topic area brings to builders and energy raters? Those are the generally people that listen to this, as well as appraisers, things like that. Is it are we just trying to raise awareness to this conversation, or is there actually some engagement and benefit for them? We've seen a growing consumer interest in energy efficiency and being able to place value on that because of the work that ResNet and others have done to illuminate and provide consumers with an easy way to identify sort of where their home sits. We'll see more of that on the resilience space and being able to identify what are the resilience strategies that are incorporated into the house, show the value of those. I think there's real opportunity there. And I think being able to demonstrate the value that resilience measures provide alongside of energy efficiency measures is certainly a key value add that folks can sort of latch on to. And so being able to effectively demonstrate that, I think, is an important thing that consumers, again, recognize the changing risks and want to be sure that they're safe in their homes. Is there any kind of metric or grade or checklist that someone could look towards either in the industry professional or as a consumer? There are a few things. So the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety uh, has a fortified program, which primarily focuses on wind type events, but you can get a fortified rating depending on what aspects you've deployed in your home. So that's certainly one thing to look for. There are some additional tools that are coming out of FLASH, the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, looking at what are the key questions that potential home buyers can ask of their real estate agent or insurance agent or home inspector to assure that they're getting a resilient home. There's also the opportunity to even just ask, what building code is this home built to? I think that provides a, a really sort of good starting point for folks. Flash actually did a study of asking folks, what do they know about their building code? Do they feel confident in the building code that's adopted within their jurisdiction? And regardless of where that jurisdiction sat, whether it had a building code at all, or whether it was an older building code, people felt confident that their community leaders were looking out for them. There's certainly a lot of consumer awareness that could be built around what code is your home built to. Yeah. Education, the consumers, as well as the community leaders would be important. Exactly. On this topic of resilience, are there any common misconceptions or myths, perhaps, that you'd like to clear up in this podcast? I don't necessarily know that they're misconceptions. I think there's still sort of a lot of mystery around what this resilience thing is. That's a good point. People automatically go to the disaster events. And I think that's certainly a key part of that. But there are so many underlying things that make those events disastrous. So it's certainly the building structures, the water system, the energy system. It's even policies that have been in place for long periods of time in communities that impact the extent of the disaster. So whether the community allows people to build in the floodplain, those sorts of things. And so it's really about understanding the intersection of all of those things and how they contribute to the vulnerability of a community. Anchor focuses at the community level because we've seen a lot of resilience efforts at sort of an individual systems level or within an individual discipline, but not really necessarily having that holistic approach. So I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures out of a pick your disaster, but I think the most impactful ones are post-Hurricane Ike in Galveston. There's that single house that's sitting out there all on its own. Everything else around it is leveled. 
And so that homeowner did everything right, but they probably don't have electricity. They don't have a school to go to. They don't have a grocery store to go to. And so being able to sort of look at the community around you and not just your individual building and figuring out how that contributes to resilience and the resilience of the citizens around you. Yeah, it's really about shelter in a big sense. It's shelter from the environment, uh, shelter in your home, but also the connection to keeping the community operating, keeping the community as a whole sheltered, as you mentioned, with those other aspects. Exactly. And you mentioned shelter and keeping safe in your home. I mean, one of the interesting things that came out of the white paper that we did on the IECC and resilience was really looking at the opportunity for passive survivability. So can you stay in your house comfortably if the power goes out and then you don't have to go to a shelter because you can stay in your home longer? And then as we look at increased heat or cold days, stress on the energy grid, I think is another important aspect of the passive survivability piece of it. So lots of different pieces coming together, but uh, really recognizing where the opportunities are, what's the most cost-effective strategy. If I could turn the discussion a little bit towards the wildfires in building homes that can resist, and resist could be a broad term because we did talk about the holistic aspect, resist wildfires. Can you discuss a little bit on that? As I mentioned, we have the International Wildland Urban Interface Code, which really looks at what are some of the things that we can do within the building space, but also within the community space to help resist wildfires. So I'd say there's three core aspects of protecting from wildfire risk. One is certainly the materials that you're going to use. So making sure that your siding, your roofing, your decks are all non-combustible. And so certainly thinking about that as an important strategy. The next one is defensible space. So certainly people in the wildfire or wildland urban interface area go there. Some of the reason is because of the forested area, but get away. Yeah. But if you put the have forested wood trees flammable trees right next to your property, that increases your risk. And so being able to provide uh, defensible space around your home so that burning materials don't then get into your home and provide a fire risk. The third and final area is certainly water supply. So if the fire does get to you, that you have an ability to put it out. And so those are sort of the key aspects of the wildland urban interface code and some of the things that folks should really pay attention to if they are in a wildfire hazard area. So is there a a place where people can follow up in this topic in their minds? Is there a website they can go to or contact? ICC certainly has some resilience resources. You can access most of the codes and standards for free. That's certainly an opportunity if you want the technical side. There's also a resilience toolkit, which includes access to the white papers that I mentioned, including upcoming ones, It provides a whole slew of resources that folks can look at around resilience strategies. And then there are other organizations that certainly provide good resources. So I mentioned Flash, I mentioned IBHS, both are working on tools in these areas as well. Anchor, what does that stand for? What does that represent? Yeah, it's the Alliance for National and Community Resilience. So you can check out Anchor's resources at resilientalliance.org. I would say you love this topic. I do. (laughs) Not that you love disaster. So folks, I got a video of him here and he's got this energy that's just radiating off his face when he discusses this. So it's a really fun conversation to have. Any closing thoughts for our listeners? I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think looking at the intersections of the work that you do as 
home raiders or if you're involved in the energy efficiency space or the home building space, really sort of recognizing where are the opportunities to build in resilience, to show consumers the importance of resilience, the benefits of resilience. Uh, and hopefully that leads to greater value and greater benefit to you as a member of the industry. And there's this whole holistic aspect that you mentioned where one benefit leads to another benefit to another benefit. And that's sometimes understanding that value chain to present helps make your case better as a raider or builder. Exactly. Thank you for joining us on ResTalk today, Ryan. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Maybe we'll have you back sometime to talk a little bit more about a different aspect of this. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk Podcast. Ryan helped us understand how HERS Raiders can learn more how to show the value of resilient strategies, most of which harmonize with health, safety, and energy efficiency. If you're pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. Today's quote from Jamey Cassio. Resilience is all about being able to overcome the unexpected. Sustainability is about survival. The goal of resilience is to thrive. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today, or you'd like to hear a new topic covered, or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you're not subscribed, please do so. As always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Thank you.